0: Log talk radio
1: you're listening to soulful connections with sam black here you will find opportunities for healing renewal and insightful conversation sam is an international psychic medium trainer and wellness coach and is your answer for filling the soul
0: Good morning and welcome to Soulful Connections. I'm your host, Sam Black, and I am so excited to be welcoming Maggie Morris this morning. This is going to be an absolutely amazing conversation and a conversation that actually needs to happen about a topic that so many are so shy or uncomfortable discussing. We're going to bring it all out, nothing hidden. So welcome to Maggie Morris. Uh, Maggie is a deaf doula which is so cool and she'll tell us more about that. And you know, in North America, death is not often a conversation that happens with comfort. So it's wonderful that these death doulas are coming to the surface to help our loved ones and possibly ourselves at some point, um, cross over to the other side. So Maggie, welcome to Soulful Connections.
1: Hi, thanks for having me on, Sam. I'm excited to be here to talk about this topic. Some people will think it's kind of strange to be excited to talk about this, but as a death doula, I'm very excited to talk about this.
0: Oh, awesome. Awesome. So before we get started, I have to say the absolute opposite of dying, I guess it depends on your perspective. However, today's a really special day, Maggie. My daughter, Kelly, turns 25 years old today. So Kelly... If wow. you're listening, Mama's going to call you after the show, and happy birthday. You know, it's so happy funny birthday. when we have all these transitions coming forward. Um, you know, it's interesting how we can celebrate them. So I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about dying, because I know earlier this month my aunt um, died, and she she really didn't want it to be a sorrowful event So we did a celebration of life rather than a traditional funeral and really talked about the happy times and the things that, you know, brought us joy rather than the sorrow. Because, of course, there is some sadness that comes along with death. Um, However, she was no longer in pain. So that was something to celebrate. So I'm excited to explore this whole idea around birthing and dying. And, you know, Maggie, I actually used to be a birth doula. So it's so cool that you and I are joining forces this morning for this fabulous conversation.
1: Right. And it's funny that you mentioned your daughter's birthday and that you used to be a birth doula because I always liken a death doula in a conversation about a birth doula because we are so quick to celebrate life and to celebrate birthing. However, we don't want to celebrate the end of a life. Although it is a celebration, it's a moving on to the next phase, and depending on what people believe or how they believe it, that makes them whether or not they 're comfortable to talk about it. but it's the one sure thing that if you give birth to a child, you 're going to face death it's the guarantee of this world
0: <laughs> absolutely yeah. absolutely i can I can remember when I was in the eighth grade, uh, family friends of ours. They said to me, you know, Sammy, what are you going to do when you grow up? And I said, I'm not positive, but I think I'm either going to be a lawyer, a teacher, or a social worker. And I think I've done a little bit of all of that. Um, <laughs> and he said, you know, if you really want to be in business for the rest of your life, you'll be a funeral director because everybody's dying to get in there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and he, he said, made light of it, but it's so it. true. <laughs>
1: that's, that's right. so true you can't get away from it it doesn't matter how rich you are it doesn't matter how poor you are it doesn't matter your matter your status in society you're still going to face that you can't opt absolutely out.
0: <laughs> absolutely so tell us maggie what is a birth doula or sorry what is a death or... doula <laughs> <laughs> um, I, <laughs> good morning everyone it is 9 a.m here <laughs>
1: Uh, A death doula is the opposite of a birth doula. Just in the same way that a birth doula coaches and is a support system to the mother giving birth, the death doula is a support system, a non-medical support person for the dying and their families. So it doesn't matter whether it's at diagnosis or closer to death, a death doula can come in at any time to be a support system. You're holding space with them, you're encouraging them, you're helping them, and you're creating memories with the family that they might not have the energy to face. The death is always going to be sad. There's no getting away from that. And accepting that off the hop, I always say, for me, accepting that it's going to be sad, I just do that. It's going to be sad. However, it can also be one of the most sacred and beautiful experiences that you face as well. Depends how you go into it and depends how you look at it because you can make some beautiful memories during that time that will stay with you forever.
0: That's so true. That's so true. It really is important. And, you know, When when our loved ones are passing, it can be all different circumstances. So I love that you point out that you can come in at a point of diagnosis when someone knows that it's going to be happening. I imagine you have some elderly as well where they say, you know, I don't know when or how, but I know at some point it's going to happen. I'd like to be prepared so that my family doesn't have extra to work with. And then you also have closer to the time of passing. And I know that you volunteer in hospice. So I imagine that um, you've had a lot of experience with helping people with that end-of-life transition.
1: Right, because a lot of the time, the person that's going to die does not want to talk about their feelings, or if they do want to talk about their feelings, maybe their family is not in a place where they can hear that. Not in a place where they're comfortable talking about that because they're carrying their own grief ball. They're in their own separate space than the person who is dying. And I can only, I can also use the example of when I went through this with my own mother. I was. Absolutely, please do. I was her caregiver. I did not have space for the emotional side of it because I was doing virtually. The nursing care, I was taking care of the business that needed to happen around her care. So my emotional stuff went on to the back burner. At that particular time, I didn't even know there was such a thing as a death doula. I certainly would have hired one because that would have given me an outlet, out, out place as well to talk about my emotional needs. What was I feeling that day? just to even be able to have a conversation about what I was feeling because I certainly wasn't going to have that conversation with my mother because she was dealing with her own dying and for most of it, unconscious. So your own family then, each person in your family has their own, I call it a grief ball that they're living in. So they've got this own grief ball so there's no space in their grief ball for your grief. So having a death doula present that death doula doesn't have their own grief ball. So they can encompass everybody that's there and see what they need and how they can assist them in their journey. And that's all it's about. It's about assisting in their journey. It's not my journey. It's that family's journey. I'm just there to assist.
0: That's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. (laughs) You know, and I can see how valuable that can be, especially when you look at different things like family roles and different connections. You know, everyone has a different relationship with the person who is dying. And I can imagine how, you know, some feelings will be brought to the forefront easier than others. I know for me, I tend to be. A caregiver so I'm usually looking out you know how can I make this person's journey easier how can I help this person's journey and I usually deal with my stuff after the fact is traditionally how it's worked for me and I can see how having a death doula present would be so helpful in that because it takes some of that responsibility off the shoulders so you can just be there and be present
1: that's right that's right that's absolutely true yeah it's not you know, death is not easy to talk about. And it's like you said, every person in the family has their own journey. I'm the kind of person that I, I like to lay all the cards on the table, put them all out there, sort them out, put them the way I can handle them, and work through it. And if I have an issue, I'm going to deal with that. Where some people, they like to go in the closet and mm-hmm. deal with their feelings privately and just do that. So you have to be alert to the way that each person handles their situation. There's no right or wrong way. Every way is their way. And it's kind of like I always liken it to the same thing where people say feelings are neither right nor wrong. They just are. Mm-hmm. And that's the, same, that's the same thing in the death journey. There is no right or wrong death journey. It just is. And you're navigating whatever it is for that person, whatever their beliefs are, whatever their journey is, I'm navigating with them. I'm not telling them there's a way to do it that's right or wrong, because for every single person, it's going to be different.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, with every experience, it can be different, too. I know um, when I've been working with people or even in my own family, you can't necessarily predict how something's going to impact you. Um, it just, it is how it is. I know my grandfather, I was so um, sad and, and upset, obviously, when he was crossing. However, when he did pass, actually, both of my grandparents on my one side, I the sadness was joyful as well, because I knew they were no longer suffering. I knew that, right. you know, my grandfather, when when he did die, that meant that he was being born into a new life with my grandmother again. Things like that, that um, really helped through. Yet, I remember, you know, when my other grandmother passed away, I was absolutely devastated. Absolutely devastated, even though in life, I probably was closer with the other grandma, right? So, you mm-hmm. never know how it is that you're going to respond You have an idea of what your personality traits are like, but I can just imagine, Maggie, what a beautiful gift you are to those families and helping them just with those transitions.
1: And that's what I try to do because that's (laughs) the calling that I have is to create a, a safe, loving, positive environment to support them where somebody can die with dignity, where somebody can have their wishes granted to the best of our ability. And even in saying that, those things change on a day-to-day basis. Somebody may come up with a death plan that they want, you know, when you go in in the beginning and you say, what do you want your death to look like? And you may make out that death plan and halfway in they change their mind. And that's okay. Because it really is example, like a birth doula. <laughs> it really is. I say it's exactly the same, only one we'll talk about and one we won't.
0: <laughs> and, you know, I've got to say, though, talking about even the birthing side of things, it's not happening everywhere. And I think it's a fairly newer thing. I know when I was working as a de- as a birthing doula, that was late 90s, early 2000s. And it still was fairly hush-hush. Some people had tons of comfort with it and most didn't. I remember the, you know, the be- breast is best movement was um, pumping up again. That pendulum had swung again to the other side. But we had just left the era of, you know, have formula, have a private birthing. You know, um, my, my younger sister was born in 1990, 1992. So she's 16 years younger than I am. And that's the only birth my dad was present for out of four of us um, because it just wasn't allowed before that. So I love the fact that the conversations are opening up because these are natural passageways that we all transition through. We all are born and we all die. There's there's no getting around that. Um, So I love that the conversation is becoming more mainstream and people like you are so needed for getting it started.
1: And that's kind of how I look at it right now as my role. My role is advocating for a conversation. To me, that's more important than necessarily what I do day to day, because it's to me, how can people know that they want to hire a death doula if they don't even know what a death doula is? So there's people out there in the community who are dying alone because they don't even know the services are available. So that's why I'm very passionate. And, you know, some people say I'm a little too passionate talking about death and dying. But to me, how can people know there's a better way if they don't hear there's a better way? And with death and dying, people are so afraid to talk about death and dying. How do you get them to know there's a better way? It's not that I'm going to change their circumstance i am i am not changing their circumstance but there is a better way mm-hmm. and we can kind of look at that within our healthcare system which is part of the reason that i seen this gap when i was going through it i seen the gaps in our system and i knew that if i became a death doula i could just fill in some of those am i going to change health care no i'm not going to change health care i'm going to fill in some of the gaps When people fall through the cracks and they're dying in hallways of hospitals, I could be there with them, holding their hand, so they're not alone in that circumstance. When people have no one to be with them, I could be with them, but they're never going to know that they can hire me if we don't start the conversation about death and dying and what a death doula is.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I can see what a huge asset you would be to that team environment, because as we know, nursing staff, their duties now far extend their capacity. And so having someone there to be with people as they pass, I imagine would make their jobs a lot easier as well.
1: Absolutely, because they can take care of the medical side of it. The largest thing that needs to happen when somebody's dying is to reduce their pain. Our bodies, is just the same as with a birthing doula. I, our bodies know how to give birth all by itself. Years ago, you remember hearing people could give birth in a field while they were working because mm-hmm. your body knows how to do that all by itself. It's the same thing with dying. Our bodies know how to die. That's something that when our bodies were created in the way that we work we know how to give birth by ourselves and we know how to die by ourselves how we get the medical team involved is to reduce pain to reduce suffering to reduce complications and the medical team can take care of all of that stuff while a death doula can take care of the emotional side of it the the holistic side The holding space with them, to just holding their hand, to be a comfort, to just be whatever they need you to be at that moment. Because somebody else is taking care of the pain side of it. You don't need to do that. So you can concentrate on what can I do for you today? What can I do for you in the next hour? What can I do for you in the next 15 minutes? Because when you're in that situation – you're living minute by minute. You're living 15 minutes at a time or an hour at a time or half a day at a time. You're not looking big scale. It's, that focus is on where you are right then. And that's where a death doula can really help with that. Just being present, actively listening to their needs, their desires, their stories. Listening to their stories is a huge part of it. Because when our bodies are dying, part of the dying process is that you relive your life. And people want to have conversations about their life. Because when they talk about their life, it validates them. And when somebody is validated, they can pass from this life to whatever the next one is so much easier. Because their journey on this earth has been validated and that's why legacy is so important any kind of legacy planning that we can do is so important because you're validating their purpose on earth their purpose in life and when you give somebody the gift of that validation they're no longer afraid to die and that part of it is beautiful. beautiful
0: it is beautiful can you but share with everyone is what is, is talking about I know. <laughs> I could listen to you all day, Maggie. I find this all fascinating. And you know, for the listeners, you know, um working I work with spirit, so I get them after they've crossed, and you know, the families come and I and I, I bridge as best I can the messages coming back and forth. And often I will have spirit come forward to either thank someone for being with them when they crossed or to acknowledge they weren't meant to be there when they crossed. You know, I see this That's especially right. with, um, with people who pass from cancer, or die from cancer, being very conscious, they use the word dying death and die. Um, so, um, for you listeners, this is, it's conscious that we're doing this. um, they they often will say you know I I didn't I didn't want her to see me that way I didn't want them to see me that way I waited till them they went to the cafeteria you know um so that comes forward and just validation I'm here I'm okay I'm not in pain like all of those kinds of messages come forward often during readings and so I can't you know I can't imagine for you Maggie the messages that they bring forward to you because i know as you know i've been with a few people as they've been passing and and it's very beautiful to see that transition of of body and soul and the messages that do come forward during that time and the peacefulness in the people um because often in mainstream media it's not portrayed as a peaceful journey um it's more the raw emotion that's attached to it which I haven't yet experienced someone dying who's in that raw emotion. So, I mean, my experience, I guess, is different. But it can be such a beautiful transitional journey. So I love that you're doing that.
1: It's like I always say with my own journey with my mother. It was the most difficult time of my life, but the most beautiful time of my life at the same time. And it's... It's kind of like if I close my eyes, I see on the one side, the sun is coming up and it's a beautiful sunny day. On the other side, you see the moon and it's the darkness side because Mm -hmm. you're seeing the both of it. You're seeing the rising of the newness of what's happening. And you're feeling also the sadness of I'm not going to physically be present with her. So Mm -hmm. it's the saddest time, but the most beautiful time. And that's what it can be for people who are supported and actively present. And sometimes people can't be actively present with the dying because either number one, they don't know how or number two, they're too busy with all of the things that have to happen. When you can step away from all of the things that have to happen. I know in my own journey, I could step away from that once she was at the stage of requiring nursing care and more PSW care because my mom did die at home. So once we had those things in place and they were coming to take care of all of the medical side of it, I didn't have to take care of that. So I could go back to being her daughter. I could step out of that role and be her daughter. I could just sit by the bedside and hold her hand because I didn't have to change her diaper. Somebody else was doing that. And that part of it is where it can be so beautiful because then you're present with that person. And, you know, I didn't, until I started volunteering at hospice, I didn't as well understand a lot of the passage and what happens. And I remember when I took my training, they said one key thing that stuck with me forever you die the way you live. We, mm. can't expect people, we can't expect people to die differently than they live. If you're a peaceful person and if you, you're very calm, you're going to die that same way. If you're hyper and high-strung, you're going to do that the same way. And just going into that knowing the way that a person lives is the same way that they're going to die. So you go in not expecting them to be different. You go in not expecting every single death to be the same because it isn't going to be the same. You know, there's people, like I said, for me, for example, I would assume that I don't have a plan because I'm not there yet, uh, but I would assume that when it comes my time to die, I'm going to have it all organized because I already have a death plan, but I'm saying I'm going to be structured because that's the way I am in life. I'm going to, I want this, 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 and this. That's the way it is. But somebody else who's very free thinking may just go with the flow. And that's okay because as different as we are in real life, we're going to be the same way in dying. And it's, I didn't understand a lot of that until I was volunteering there. And it's kind of like you said earlier, there are certain people who do not want their family presence when they take their last breath and that family will be at the bedside for days
0: mm-hmm. and the
1: person will the person will wait until they go to the bathroom yep and that's when they'll die and it's they'll come back and be so upset because it happened but it's not it's that person did not want you to see that they did yes. not want you to be there for that and that's their choice you know yep. and i can't tell you how
0: many times marriage, that comes forward it comes over um, so, so many times during readings. Um, and and I do, I find that just being able to share that message, people carry so much guilt when they haven't been able yeah. to be there with their loved one. And,
1: yeah.
0: and honest, you know, if, if you're listening and that's you, you're feeling guilty, please know that they died according to their plan. They didn't Absolutely. want you to see them suffer. Yeah.
1: And that was the same, that was the same way. Like my mom was in a sedated coma for the last six weeks of her life. And hopefully it's okay to share this part. But I You can share anything. Passed, <laughs> I, after she passed, felt a certain amount of guilt as well, because for, you know, the whole time from January to September, we had been with her all the time when she passed. She was with a nurse and Mm -hmm. that I was able to let go of that guilt because my mom and I had always joked about because different people, and it does happen with a lot of people when they're dying, loved ones will come to get them. And so she she had talked during the course of her illness about people coming to talk to her, her mother, her father, her grandmother, her brother, all people who had passed and even Being a person of faith, at one time she said, Jesus came. And her and I joked about, well, you know, if he comes again, like, could you get me? (laughs) I want to talk to him. There's a few things him and I need to talk about. And so the day that she died, I was in bed. And at 4 o'clock in the morning, I completely, as just like I'm talking to you, I heard her call my name. Which she wasn't doing because she was sedated. So I got up, I came downstairs, I look, she's breathing, the nurse says, go back to bed, go back to bed. So I go back upstairs, 410, I heard her name again, calling me. And she called me by the name that she called me, not my, not the name I use, but she called me by the name she called me. And so I came back downstairs, I knew she was calling me. I look, she's still sedated, she's still breathing. The nurse says, go back to bed. So I go back to bed. I was up in my room, and I had not laid my head down on the pillow when the nurse knocked to say that she was gone. At first, I felt horrible that I wasn't with her when she died. However, I come to learn in the months following, I was with her when she died.
0: Yes, Because you
1: were. she called me at 4, she called me at 410, and at 420, she died. I was there. And just like in that conversation that we had had earlier, Mom, if Jesus comes back to get you and it's your time, call me. I want to be there. And it was no accident that two times she called me. And I believe fully to this day that those two times she called me, her spirit was already leaving her body. Yes. She may have been still breathing when I came downstairs to look at her, but I believe her spirit was already leaving and was up in my bedroom calling me. And that happens a lot and you see that you see that at hospice you see that with other people and I can't speak specifically about hospice things because of confidentiality but I can tell you that there's many times that people know the day they're going to die much before it happens you know there may be a favorite there may be a favorite meal that somebody wants and they want it today well I'll bring it to you on Friday and I won't be here Friday. Yeah. And I've learned that when somebody is in that place of almost death, when they say they won't be here Friday, I pay attention to that. Because many times people know when they're going to pass.
0: Yeah. And yeah. we
1: oftentimes in the medical community, oftentimes people will say, well, what they're saying, that's the medicine they're on. That's the hypnosis. That's, you know, it's all because of that. But as you work in that industry, you come to realize some of those things that people are saying are not the medicine. It's yep. because they really are having out-of-body experiences while they're dying. And that's okay. That's yes, okay. Absolutely. And it, it makes the journey so sacred. And that's where I say to people all the time when they say, Why do you do this? And to me, it's easy. It's because it's a sacred experience. When I'm with somebody who's about to pass, about to die, it's sacred ground that I'm walking on. I'm privileged that they allowed me to be in that space with them. And I honor that because that energy that they have is sacred. It's sacred. And they give far more to me than I give to them. I give them time and space, but they give so much more because dying people have a lot to give. They do. And I love that
0: you raised that that point because what happens um, often, at least in North American culture, is that when people learn someone is dying or is ill, or they tend to whether it's the discomfort or they believe that they're honoring their space, they tend to back off a little bit. Um, And, and I always encourage everyone make use of this time. There's something there that they want to share with you and want to teach you. And I think you're totally right. They have so much, even if they're nonverbal, just the essence in their energy has so much to offer you. It's, It is absolutely beautiful.
1: Absolutely. It's absolutely beautiful. And I kind of liken it again to the birth doula. Could you imagine finding out that you were pregnant and somebody said to you, okay, don't speak about that again, because that makes me uncomfortable. And you had to go through the whole nine months of pregnancy and planning, but not speak of it because it made people uncomfortable. Yet, a lot of times, that's what we do to people who are dying. Not intentionally. We don't come right out and say those words, don't speak to me about this because it's uncomfortable. But our facial expressions say it, our mannerisms say it. We, Like you said, we pull back. We don't go visit them as much because it's uncomfortable. So just imagine, like I said about the pregnancy, you go through that whole thing and you're not allowed to talk about it. But imagine that from the death journey. Imagine altering debilitating disease that is going to take your life. Maybe not tomorrow. Maybe not six months from now. Maybe a year from now. Maybe two years from now. Maybe five years from now. And you go through that journey not being able to speak of it because it makes people uncomfortable. Because it makes you uncomfortable. Instead of what about if we little bits at a time spoke about it until we got comfortable with it, because when you bring things out of the darkness and shed light on them, they're not as scary as they used to be, and I believe the same thing can happen with death and dying. When we shine the light on it and bring it out of the darkness, people will find it's not as scary as we think it is, yes? It's sad, always going to be sad, but it's not as scary. And they'll find that when we take it out of the darkness and we talk about it and we have these safe conversations about it, we realize, you know what? I can go that journey with you. I will. I'll sit with you. I'll talk about it whenever you want to. You unload what you need to unload and I can listen. And that is so freeing to somebody who has that diagnosis of dying to be able to know that they have people in their life that they can say whatever they want about this, whatever that feeling is of the day. Because when you get that diagnosis, whether it's six months or five years from now that you're going to die, you still have a lot of living to do. Mm-hmm. So part of being a death doula as well is helping people to live that life that they have left to the fullest. Do those things you want to do. Write that little journal you want to write. Write those cards to your grandchildren. Maybe you want to tape some stories to them. Do those things that you want to do and live your life. Just because you have a diagnosis that says you're dying, you don't die that day. So continue to live your life. Just Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I
0: love the the saying, you know, we die once. And we, we're born every morning. And mm-hmm. um sometimes people are so focused on the death part that they forget that they need to continue living. Um or, you know, they die much much earlier than the act the body actually dies because they're not making the most of that time every day. And it is such yes. a gift. It is such a gift to wake up every morning and understand that you have something to offer to others. And um, it comes all back together again at that time of dying. And, and, you know, I do want to touch on the fact that we are using specifically the word dying and that we're using the words death. Because, as I mentioned, it is very conscious. So, Maggie, can you share with our listeners what that conversation is all about?
1: Well, oftentimes just people saying the word death and dying they want you to soften it up i know i recently had a death cafe and it was a time a death cafe is where you just get together ours was from two to four and you just get together in a safe environment to talk about death and dying and somebody at that time said to me well could you just not call it that because when you call it that Ooh, I don't want to come to that when you call it that and I just said well what do you want me to call it it's death and dying and part of the conversation that we have to have is to make those words safe when people are afraid to say those words that shows me they're not safe words they're not words that people feel comfortable with so part of being a death doula is that those words have to be safe words because how can we journey with somebody to their death if we're afraid to say the word death and dying? And I encourage people, I understand that some people want to say somebody is passing or crossing over and those things. And they're all good words too. They're fine. But If you're afraid to say the word death and dying, look to yourself and find out why that is. Is it because you're afraid of your own death? Is it because you want to pretend that's not going to happen? And what part of it makes it an unsafe conversation? And that's all I want is for people to be able to have safe conversations saying those words. Because I would guarantee you, guarantee you, when those words become safe, then we'll be able to handle death and dying so much easier. This culture that we're in, in our country, is a lot different than other countries. In a lot of cultures, death and dying, children talk about death and dying. Children are present when people are dying. In a lot of cultures, the, the dying state Right at home in the living room, even after death until the burial. So, I believe that we have created in an effort to make it more friendly, <laughs> we've closed it up. So, in an effort to make death and dying easier to handle, we've actually made it more difficult. Because yeah, and that makes a whole lot of
0: it. sense. Yeah absolutely and and so i love that you are doing these conversation starters and making these words safe words for people to use you know i i think sometimes we go over the top with trying to be too um conservative and you know trying to not offend anyone but the reality is you can change the word dying as much as you like but essentially that's still what it's going to be at the end of the day
1: Right. right yeah and yeah and death is still going to happen to every one of us it doesn't matter what you change the word to
0: yeah
1: absolutely and like some of those conversation starters i've made up the little cards and some of those uh, conversation starters for the death cafe are just the uh, very simple sentences that like one is for example how would you support a dying friend how would you mm. like to be supported What conversations would you like to have? Are you comfortable discussing death? How would you prepare for death and dying? Another one is, what does it mean to you to leave a legacy? Where would you like to be when you die? If you had a choice, how would you choose to die? What would you miss most about dying? What does a dignified death mean? What is an undignified death? And those are all just questions that are put on the table. When people come together in a room, if they're not comfortable starting a conversation, they can just pick one of those questions. And we found out last week that in that two hours that we had segmented for this conversation, one question was read off the card. The rest of the conversation went from that nobody looked at the cards again it just one question was read to start it and it just went from there so that shows me that people do want to talk about it they just don't know how so we can provide safe spaces for people to talk about it it's much better than to just have to experience it and then figure out oh my goodness what just happened yeah and that's and you know it's something is. that we
0: all have in common we all have someone who's passed or died we all have someone in our life who will die and we all will Absolutely. die ourselves so you know it is it's a common denominator it doesn't matter what background it's a common denominator we all have so i really love that you're hosting these death cafes and that you're inviting people to have these conversations in that safe space. And, you know, I'm wondering, Maggie, if you'd be interested in coming back on the show another time and we can open it up to callers and they can Absolutely. call in and we can have some really great conversations that way. I think that'll be a lot of fun if you're interested.
1: Yeah, it, we probably wouldn't be able to do it at nine o'clock in the morning because I'm not. No, sure, you know, <laughs> no,
0: sure but we could do it one wanna- evening for sure.
1: Yeah, I think that would be really good. And then people could call in with their questions and just lay it out there, even if people wanted to call in anonymously and just forge a question because it starts the conversation. And that's the important thing because if you start the conversation before you're there, I guarantee it's easier. If you have a plan, I guarantee it's easier.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So stay tuned. Those of you listening, Maggie and I will set that up and I'll get it posted. So one thing I want to rewind a little bit because you've shared bits and pieces of your story with your mom. And one thing that you mentioned, I really think we need to highlight because in North American culture, often people die in hospital and you were able to keep your mom at home with medical care. So can you share with us a little bit about that part of your journey so that those who are listening, if, if they'd like to do something similar, they might have some insight on how to do that?
1: Right. Um, well, that's part of what is very important about changing the way we think of death, because oftentimes people think that death has to happen in a hospital, in a hospice, in a nursing home. They don't, in this culture, necessarily like the idea of death at home. However, it's a personal choice. I would not try to put my views on somebody else that doesn't believe in it. However, I believe that everybody should have a choice whether or not they want to die at home. Dying at home is comfortable. I had the opportunity to put my mom in hospice if I wanted to. There were many times that she would have gone to the hospital and I brought her back home. We made a choice because that was comfortable for her. I also found for myself it was more comfortable. We turned the family room into her room. So I could still, although I was caring for her, I could still do my laundry. I could still cook meals. I could still walk my dog. I could carry on with my life by having her at home. I knew me as the kind of person that I am. If I had put her into hospice, I would have moved into hospice, and that's where mm-hmm. I would have lived my life for those months. And her home was safe for her. It was comfortable. The biggest part of the journey of that was not knowing if I was doing the right thing. And not knowing how would I keep care, how would I take care of pain management and all of that. However, in our town, because we do have a hospice, as soon as she was palliative care, um, then the palliative care team took over her care from the family doctor. The family doctor was still involved, but I no longer had to then take my mother to the doctors. She, once she was bedridden, then the palliative nurses would come to the house. In the beginning, they came once a week to find out what I needed, what she needed, how things were going. And then in the end, the hospice team was brought in, and the hospital, the hospice nurses and doctors and the nurse practitioners, they would come to the house. And in the beginning, they came once a week um, during their journey. Near the end, they were coming every day. They took care of the pain management side of it. They took care of all of the medical side of it. The PSWs took care of their part of it. So the services are there, and I didn't have to pay for those services. That was covered by OHIP. Those things (laughs) were there. The services were all there. It was just figuring out how to get them. And I remember telling them that the hardest part of this whole journey, had I not been a hospice, volunteer to know that those services were there people in the community don't know those services are there so they don't even know that staying at home is an option and that's part of where i talk about that it's building awareness because if doctors don't know that it's available they're not telling their patients that it's available and that it's an option it's it's just natural to say Well, you need to go to a nursing home. And that's what they said to me for my mother. She needs to go to a nursing home. No. How about no? That was my thought. How about no? Mm -hmm. How about she just stay here? And I had to fight to get him to deem her palliative care and to get those services. And so for me, I thought you're at the most difficult time of your life and people don't make it easy. So Mm -hmm. if I could find a way to let people know about these services and let people know that it's possible, and even through the Ontario government and Compassionate Care Leave, I was able to leave my job for six months to be able to care for her at home and collect unemployment, much the same as you do when you're on maternity leave or sick benefits, and that was able to supplement my income while I could stay at home with her. So there's lots of options that are out there for people who choose that. And to me, my own personal thing is, yes, it is a lot of work, but it makes the dying process at home more a home environment. There's Mm -hmm. no way that a hospital becomes a home environment. They can try, they do try, but it isn't. The closest thing we have to a home environment for dying is a hospice. Yeah. However, most hospice, most hospices have 10 beds. There's a lot more than 10 people in the community that are dying at any one time. So if we can support people who choose to die at home and take that load off of the hospitals and the hospice and allow people to journey to death at home, why not? Why not Absolutely. let them...
0: And what would be someone's, like, how would they access these services if somebody's listening and they're like, that's exactly what my mom wants or my dad wants or they want for themselves? How do they go about asking the questions? Who do they go to?
1: The first thing that I would say to them is go to your family doctor. Have your family doctor deem that family member a palliative patient. Because as soon as as they are deemed a palliative patient, then there are more services that are available to them that are not. And because my mom had congestive heart failure, which does not have a much, much like if somebody has cancer, oftentimes the oncologist will tell them a certain end-of-life time frame. With congestive heart failure, there is no end-of-life time frame. So it's much harder to get deemed palliative if you're in that. So what I did because I knew the term palliative and what it meant, I went to the doctor and I said, does my mother have a life altering, debilitating disease that is going to end her life? He said, yes. I said, well that's the definition of palliative. Yeah, but she can't Mm -hmm. go palliative until it's three months to death. I said, no. She can't go to hospice until it's a certain time period she can be deemed palliative and then palliative nurses come to the house so he did that and mostly he did it to shut me up <laughs> <laughs> but, and he said nothing is going to change and nothing did for a couple of weeks but then her care was then handled by a different department of the Lind. when yeah. somebody is given that diagnosis they are given a social worker that social worker during the last five years, my mom had a social worker that helped with getting the things that we needed. Once somebody is deemed palliative, it goes to a different department. And you kind of have to look at it like the business of dying. And in the business of dying, there are many departments. Well, once somebody is deemed palliative, other services open up for them. And that's when, when you're deemed palliative, then we had... Um, St. Elizabeth's were the nursing people that came to the house. Fabulous angels. Because those palliative nurses, they know their stuff. Mm-hmm. They, when she came to the house, to me, she was just like an angel. Because she walked in and she knew what we were going through. She knew the end game. She knew that going to the hospital was not a solution because we wanted to die at home. They believe in dying at home. So she didn't try to get us to do that, where before that, people would say, well, you just need to go to the hospital. You just need to go to the hospital. But this nurse knew dying at home is okay. We can do this with you. And that they're available 24 hours a day, um, that team. You can call them. They'll help you. They come to your house. So once somebody would become palliative, they are entitled to those services. And that makes the process easier because then that palliative nurse, when it was time for the hospice team to become involved and the hospice nurses and doctors to come to the house, she knew that. She called them. She made it happen. So it took the pressure off me. I no longer had to fight to get what my mother needed. I had an advocate then. Mm -hmm. That nurse was my go-to person. And she then was able to help. So as I would say to anybody in the community who wants to die at home, you completely can do it. You completely can do it. The services are there. The services are available for you. It's accessing the services that becomes difficult because number one, you're in the most painful time of your life. You don't have the energy to find those services. To me, when if doctors could just give you a booklet of this is what you can have, <laughs> this is what's available to you, that would make the process so much easier. But because that doesn't happen, I became a death doula. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, and, you
0: know, it's true because a big root of fear is not, not knowing and not understanding. And when we can give people information and we can give people right. choices and options all of a sudden fear isn't the factor anymore. Then they can choose what they want. And with our aging population, let me tell you, those hospitals don't have space. How many people are passing away on stretchers and hallways? There's not room in the hospitals, and they're not getting the emotional care. You know, their their job is to treat with a medical model and either discharge or pain manage. They're... They just don't have the capacity to do more than that. So I love that there's different options for people. I could talk all day long about the wonderful things around hospice. I think they're absolutely amazing angels helping, helping our people. And I love that you are there and other deaf doulas are around. So, you know, if you're not in this area, you can still find deaf doula in your area and our death doulas have this information. You know, if you call Maggie, she can help you. You know, if you maybe you're somebody who does want to pass that hospital or in a home because that feels safer to you. It's all good. Right. It's whatever you feel is right. But Maggie can help you get there. So, um, you know, Maggie, I so appreciate you coming on the show. I so appreciate you being so open about your story, how you got here, and then how you're helping other people. I think that you are making a tremendous difference in our community and beyond because I know you speak outside our community as well. So what would you say if someone's saying, you know, I really need a Maggie, (laughs) you know, whether they live here or somewhere else? What are the steps they need to take in order to hire a Deaf doula?
1: Well, the nice thing about technology is you can plug in. If somebody needs a Maggie, well, if somebody needs this Maggie, they can find me at whispersofwisdom.ca. That is my website, and you can reach me there. And the neat thing about technology, although it's not always my friend, Technology enables me to have conversations and to help people that are outside of my community. So I can still help people who are not in my community. However, to have the hands-on death doula come to your house, look it up. Go to Google, death doula in your community. Find Home Hospice Association. Ask hospice in your town if there is one. Do, Do you know of any death doulas? just ask find out in the medical community are there any death doulas ask other death doulas because there's lots when you google death doulas you will find them in different communities and if there's not one in your community maybe you need to become one Mm -hmm. just putting that out there (laughs) well and,
0: and it is a field where we do need more it's you know um Maggie's just one beautiful soul and she's got a wonderful partner that she works with, but I know each community is, is needing more. You can't have too many deaf doulas. So so if you're looking for a career path and you are someone that is wonderful with holding that space and being clear with your communication, that, that might be a path for you.
1: Obviously you can't become one if you're in that situation now, because right. that would just, you can't, um, but I would, I would encourage people to reach out and find out if there is one, because odds are there might be one close to you, you just don't know about it, which is the same reason that I said before, we're having this conversation, because there's lots of death doulas out there, but you just don't know who they are. Yeah. They're Find some in your community or through your hospice. There's people who are actually doing this work who are palliative nurses who might not be going by the term death doula. Everybody has access to palliative nursing if you are in Ontario and you're dying.
0: So that's one
1: way that I would have people reach out. Reach out and start with a palliative nurse because I know the palliative nurse that came to our house was not called a death doula but they are death doulas
0: mm-hmm. because
1: they do have that caring heart. Nobody becomes a palliative nurse because they want to make a lot of money. Palliative nurses go to people's homes who are choosing to die at home. They have to have the heart for it yeah. because they work very hard. They work very hard and have a number of clients at one time. And how they become so specific to that person's needs is a gift. Absolutely. A gift.
0: absolutely. And I
1: believe palliative nurses are nurses that are called the palliative nurses. They're not, they're not your regular breed of nurses. <laughs> yeah.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I want to stress, this is not something new, you know, Women have been doing this for centuries. It just is mm-hmm. being allowed to be brought back out to the forefront. So, Maggie, thank you so much again. wisdom is posted in the um, the description of this video. Connect with Maggie; she's absolutely wonderful. So, Maggie, thanks so much for coming on the show. And thank I know we're going to have us. another one soon. So, t- uh-huh. thank you. All right, everyone, if you are wanting to connect with Maggie, you can do that Whispers of Wisdom again. As I mentioned, Maggie Morris, she's on Facebook. And also, if you're wanting to connect with me, you can do that at www.samblack.ca. And if you're wanting to work with me, if you're wanting to do something more creative, either in your life or in your business, you can reach me also at www.consciouslycreatingwithsam.com. I will be back again next week. I can't wait to connect with you guys soon. And also for those of you who are interested, I do have my new healing class starting next week. We will be doing healing with yourself through generations and past lives. So that's it for today, guys. I hope you have an absolutely gorgeous, sunny day. I can't wait to hear what you thought of this episode and others. If you loved this, make sure you subscribe and uh, listen to the other guests as well. It's absolutely fascinating. So thanks so much for being on Soulful Connections.